0: Broadcasting from the Unshackled Studios in Melbourne. This is Wilmsfront. Brought
1: to you by the unshackled.net. Now here's Tim Wilms. hello everyone and welcome back to another wilmsfront featured interview show back on sunday it is the 7th of may 2023 we are broadcasting on the unshackled youtube channel the tim wilms d live channel and the wilmsfront odyssey channel entropy is live where you can send through a direct question or super chat uh, to myself or my guests for tonight to support the unshackled productions it is 830 p.m. here in melbourne victoria but tonight we are heading north of the murray as the 58th new south wales parliament will be opening on tuesday and swearing members of both houses elected at the march 25 election in the lower house the legislative assembly new labor premier chris minns govern is in minority. He, in the end, won only 45 of the 93 seats in the Legislative Council, where 21 members have been elected out of the 42 uh, for eight-year terms. No no single party ever wins a majority as members are elected via statewide proportional representation. One of those newly elected in the Legislative Council is my guest tonight, the On John Ruddick MLC representing the Liberal Democrats. Welcome back to Wilmsfront and congratulations on your election. Good evening, Tim. Very good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Uh, when I first uh, interviewed you back in February uh, 2021, uh, that was, well, when we we're in the, the, the false sense of Covid zero. Uh, we were still discussing uh, how to make the Liberal Party great again, and uh, you concluded in the end that it couldn't be couldn't be made great again. But uh, you gave the party twenty five years of your life. So why did you conclude that it couldn't be made great again? Okay.
0: Well, look, I'm happy to walk you through that. But I'll just quickly say about that book. Uh, despite its name, which was sort of tried designed to grab attention. It's really a, a, a blueprint for how any mass political organization uh, should be structured. So while the, yes, I have given hope, hope on the Liberal Party, I'm hoping that, I mean, the Labor Party could introduce, any, any major party could, could introduce the reforms that I've suggested. Anyway, well, look, so look, I joined the Liberal Party the two days after John Hewson's fight back package lost in 1993. I was what was then known as an economic rationalist. I believed in the Fight Back Package. It was about uh, spurring entrepreneurialism, about reducing the size of the government. And I was heavily involved in the Liberals and the Young Liberals in particular in the 1990s. And then, uh, you know, I sort of, um, between between the year 2000 and 2011, I didn't attend, did not attend one Liberal Party meeting. So that was 11 years. I would go to social events, but I was, uh, you know, more than inactive more than an inactive member. I thought at that time, uh, well, we had John Howard as the Prime Minister, and I thought that the sort of the the right wing, the conservative, whatever you want to call them, uh, were dominating the New South Wales Liberal Party at that time. And I thought, okay, well, that's a good thing. Uh, but now what has happened is uh, that uh, the conservatives, it was really the conservatives, so-called conservative faction, which I was so disappointed with in the term of the, particularly the Morrison government, but also the, the, the Turnbull government, and that is that they had really sort of betrayed their founding principles. Now this came to a head in mid July, 2021, when the country was going into its uh, an extended lockdown. And I was, you know, immediately upset when COVID first came along. I was immediately, uh, you know, thinking this is a catastrophe. Uh, we are massively overreacting to COVID, and you know, so then it was the liberal state and federal governments which were locking us down, or well, in New South Wales at least. And um, I thought, you know, well, look, this is this is absolutely outrageous from a liberal government to this COVID authoritarianism. Okay, so that was the first point. What, which, which, there was three things they did, which I thought, look, three strikes and you're out, liberal party. The second one was the complete complete capitulation on global warming. Which I believe is junk science, and so I thought, you know, they they campaign, they won successive elections on trying to sort of not be uh, radical on this subject, to be sort of more level-headed, uh, and particularly the twenty nineteen election, which Scott Morrison won. But then Scott Morrison basically just embraced everything Bill Shorten was pro- campaigning on anyway. Okay, now then the uh, then the third, and I think we're all yeah, you know, I think the crunch is coming on on the the energy market. Now, then, of course, the state and federal governments, including liberal governments, got us into enormous public debt at a state and federal level. Uh, now, the Howard government was not perfect, but they, John Howard, after you know 12 years in power, did leave a, a Commonwealth debt of 20 billion dollars. Now, 20 billion dollars is nothing, you know, in a in, a, in a, a country's economy as big as Australia's, so it was basically zero. And now we're, you know, now look, it is coming down now, which is good, but I mean, it did hit a trillion dollars under ScoMo, still an enormous amount of debt. And it actually went up under Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison. And then it sort of doubled, almost doubled with COVID. So I was thinking, look, we need an alternative. Now, I had uh, heard of the Liberal Democrats. I'd usually voted for the Liberal Democrats, but I truly thought the best way to bring about sort of economic, uh, you know, uh, sane policies was through the Liberal Party. Uh, but now I, I saw David Limbrick, um, the Victorian MLC, on uh, the Outsiders program on Sky once, and I, I rang up the Liberal Democrats. Five minutes later, I said, "Okay, look, uh, you know, I want to get in on this. I, I, I think you guys are the best political party in Australia. And I want to invest my political energy
1: into the Liberal Democrats." Even though, throughout your time as a Liberal Party reform. Advocate, you're you're often seen on the side of conservatives such as uh, Tony Abbott and the, the late Jim Molan, uh, but you've always had quite libertarian views. I remember this is years back a, a, a Sky News discussion about drug decriminalisation or legalisation, and you were in favour, and James Morrow, one of the outsiders, was was wanting to to basically keep on the the the, the drug war. Yes, now I remember that interview. I'm, I'm pleased you remember it, Tim.
0: Now, look, I think I've always been libertarian. I read Atlas Shrugged very carefully and very slowly. It's a big book. It took me a long time, and I yes, yeah, same here. This, this is Ayn Rand's um, magnum opus, and I was, uh, you know, I was absolutely enthralled by it, and I thought she was, I thought she was brilliant, and so I was very much always on the yes, I what you're right factionally. I was associated with the right wing, and look. Right-wing conservatives and libertarians do have a lot of overlap. Uh, there are differences, um, you know, particularly about how much reach the, should get, the government should have in terms of, you know, whether people want to smoke cannabis. And and I think the big difference between the con conserv- say the Liberal Party and the Liberal Democrats, between a conservative party and a libertarian party, I think uh, something that is of uh, you know high importance and which we starkly differ is on war now the Liberal Party basically never hesitates to sign up for a war okay and that's just part of their tradition and they, and they lionize people who've uh, gone to war now the Liberal Democrats believe that a lot of people have gone to war uh individually heroes uh but in often victims and we think that most Wars in history could have and should have been prevented and uh, you know we so uh, you know we, we look at someone like Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, uh, and and Donald Trump, the two presidents that we were told before they came into office would start world wars, but in fact they wanted to sort of uh, you know, negotiate and and sit down and talk to their to their enemies and sort of say look you know how can we sort of avoid a conflict here? Uh, this is the right thing to do, and uh, you know I, I am quite alarmed about the never-ending military build-up in the asia-pacific and now i don't claim to have the answers there i'm very skeptical of the uh, of nato's intentions with the, uh, the the ukraine war i think the people in the liberal party just automatically think look if there's a war on we're going to fight it okay and i think that that is wrong
1: It's it's certainly more a division in the the United States the libertarian because oh, the US is the the world's greatest military superpower though China is is catching up so it's it's much more much more present their divide on war between conservatives and and libertarians but uh, you're absolutely right though so in Australia it's on foreign policy and national defense it's uh, most of the time being the the uni party yes
0: yes yeah, so and now we've got you know Anthony Albanese has probably marched in every anti-war protest there was but now he's like you know it's like Barack Obama was anti-war and they get into the top job even the lefties Julia Gillard you know they 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 sign up for for all this and and I'm starting to think the country that's got the best government in the world Tim is actually Switzerland um, switzerland you know, is 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 not a libertarian utopia but it is definitely the most libertarian country on earth and most most pertinently uh, around war now they don't do war and so people just leave them alone you know there, there was mountains of bodies piled up um in world war one a very pointless war uh, uh, you know politicians just stumbled into that stupid war you know 20 million dead so there's armies raging all over europe back and forth across europe everyone just leaves Switzerland alone everyone just knew oh Switzerland's uh a neutral so we won't attack them you know World War II comes along the Nazis are rampaging everywhere uh know, they just leave Switzerland alone as well and you know and in, in the Cold War uh the Soviets didn't try to destabilize Switzerland they just thought okay well Switzerland's neutral so you know no problem now so so while they don't do that it's not like it's not like Switzerland doesn't care about the rest of the world it's not like they're not humane they did start a little organisation called the Red Cross about 150 years ago. Now, this was not the Swiss government. This was private Swiss individuals. And the Red Cross has probably, you know, it's probably been the greatest charity in the last 200 years, comes out of the Christian tradition. And, you know, I think they've got about 17 million volunteers right now uh, uh, helping people, you know, in, in, in war, war-torn situations. So I think we've got... A, I think the
1: world, and I think in Australia, has got a lot to learn from Switzerland. War is also expensive to us, the the taxpayers. Not just uh, not just obviously war a a threat to life and liberty. So so far we've mentioned the the the. the never ending war on drugs. And then there's, well, there was the war on terror for however long now it's the, uh, it seems to be the forever war in, in Ukraine. And uh, we've just come out of the the war on COVID, uh, which uh, the, well, the World Health Organization has just said that uh, the emergency is over. So as the, the Biden administration, and it seems that uh, the, the the, there's a lot of revisionism uh, going going on and a lot of uh, uh, trying to, well, erase what our leaders did to us. And I remember one of the ways you sort of introduced yourself as a Liberal Democrat was taking part in the the Sydney anti-lockdown protest. You described it as the most peaceful rally that you'd been to, and I think that's why they had to invent violence at that time. Uh, rally uh but they they were they i was i'm a victorian i lived through the the six lockdowns it's it was enough to almost crush all your your hope like just in life Mm. well
0: you know the uh the media went completely crazy it was really media driven hysteria uh and the politicians followed the media and then the bureaucrats followed the politicians of course, the uh big pharmaceutical industry was uh, pumping it up as well. And uh, but out of all the American media organizations which went the most hysterical, the most berserk about uh COVID was the Atlantic. And the Atlantic had an article a few months ago saying, Oh, you know, look, we need a COVID amnesty. You know, we all we yes, mistakes were made, but we were doing our best and we had limited information. Okay. Uh well, I say, no, 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 we don't want a COVID amnesty, we want a COVID justice. Now, that is important uh, for two reasons in particular. Uh, The first is is that while we may just want to sweep it under the carpet, we can't because we've got massive government debt that's going to bog down this country for another decade or two. So we can't just, if we could could sweep the the big debt under the carpet and and it disappeared, well, maybe we could think about an amnesty. But more importantly, uh, the worst part of COVID worse than the deaths and we know it was a bad flu again these things happen uh, randomly from time to time uh but the worst part about it was was the precedent it set about what government can do in terms of pushing us around pushing the citizens around and now the government knows that there won't be that much pushback now there was some pushback by heroic individuals but you know that you know dan andrews got re-elected pretty comfortably uh I'm not an election denier I believe that that was the will of the people uh and I know that people criticize Dan Andrew uh, um the opposition leader Matthew Guy now I know he's weak I know he's pretty useless but I mean he's, he's not terrible and really who cares as long it didn't really matter who he was it, it, it was a referendum and up or down on Dan Andrews now the truth is that you know a clear majority of Victorians say oh no 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 we want more of him okay so that's a bit of a problem. Now, we have set this precedent and there will be an element in the government, in the deep state, in the bureaucracy, in the political offices, who got a real rush out of it, a real rush out of locking us all down and exercising all that brutal power. And I'm not gonna say they're gonna do it again about a virus, but they'll find some other excuse to do it again, uh, because this is the, 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 the golden rule of power is this. If there is an opportunity to use power, if the opportunity exists, someone will take that opportunity at some point. It's just a matter of time. They will use it. And so now they know that, wow, we can push the people around and they'll basically go along with it. So that's the worst part. And that's why we need COVID justice.
1: Well, the politicians, they always deflected saying it's the, the health advice. Now, even though there's been a change of uh, government in, in New South Wales, uh, someone who's been re-elected or reappointed unopposed since 2008 is the, the Chief Health Officer, Kerry Chant. Uh, she is still there. Uh, she, In fact, she, in her published advice, uh, wanted uh, Berejiklian to, to go even harder at the, at the time.
0: Ah uh, yes yes well that's right well I mean I mean Kerry Tant made a lot of errors okay I mean uh, the lockdowns clearly did prevent transmission obviously if you're going to lock down the citizens there's going you're not going to be able to entirely uh, prevent it but it will prevent transmissions but in fact it will only delay transmissions because they can't lock us down forever
1: yeah that's so what lockdowns- we learned it just that's kept right.
0: coming back in that's right so the lockdowns were just absolutely pointless uh, they were brutal, they were inhumane and uh, absolutely pointless. Uh, now, then, of course, you had
1: know, the masks. The masks were garbage. Yeah, uh, the burn, and the, the, the science eggs. is coming back on the masks now that absolutely. actually they did nothing.
0: The New York Times wrote an article three months ago saying, look, we've reviewed all, every peer-reviewed article on masks here. They don't do a thing. Now, surprise, surprise, you've got this stupid little mask on. Uh, air can get air can get around the corners of the masks and the little little COVID virus just waltzes all the way through the little pores in the mask okay so the masks were complete garbage uh now i know you're on youtube and i know we have to be careful about the vaccine uh, yes have, yes okay okay but i will say that for that i think there is i think we can say that there is debate about whether they were effective okay so hopefully that will be acceptable to the censors. Uh, so, you know, uh, so, you know, w- what did it all achieve? You know, now, 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 Kerry Chant was part of all of these decisions and, you know, I'm glad she's still in the role. You know, I'm hoping at some point we can have a, some type of a parliamentary inquiry and we can sort of, you know, quiz her on, you know, the many errors that she made. Uh,
1: now, the it shouldn't be described a, a health response. That was a police state uh, response it's it's looking like that uh the the well the the the, the new south wales government i uh, didn't well the new south wales police i uh, didn't issue uh any lawful fines they they the new south wales supreme court i already knocked out a whole bunch of fines i think at the end of last year and now they've uh suspended uh, the 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 payment or demand for payment of uh, any outstanding fines, which is a cold comfort to to those who have already paid them, or some people m- might say suckers who already paid them, or some already worked them off or uh, like had to uh, took part in work orders to to pay off the 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 debt there. But it looks like that uh, the the strategy of just, yeah. Uh, not paying seem to have, seems to to have been the right one if they've suspended it. Uh, well, that's right, that's right. Now,
0: so the fact that they are walking away from these unpaid fines tells us that they're basically admitting that uh, the people who have been fined did nothing wrong. Okay, so we had a very big, just as the, uh, in July, 2021, we had a very big illegal protest here in Sydney. This is when we were sort of a couple of weeks into a big, long, extended lockdown. And it was an enormous amount of fun, that that demonstration. And there was tens of thousands of people there. And, you know, the uh the the all the geniuses in the media and the political class were absolutely convinced that there would be that that that, that event would be a COVID super spreader. And then what happened was they, you know, they have their daily, you know, their daily um press briefing. Uh, and, yeah, you know, the journalists are just asking Kerry Chant and Gladys Berejiklian, how many people got COVID today who attended the rally? How many? How many? How many is it related to? And on the first day, they say, oh, well, we haven't got any evidence yet, but we're sure it was a super spreader. We're sure it's a super spreader. Went on for about three weeks. Every day, they said, how many people at the rally uh, have now been diagnosed? With, you know, they were getting 1,000 people, 2,000 people a day with COVID across Sydney, New South Wales. But then they would say, well, how many people at that, the event got it? And they kept having to say, oh, well, well, nobody yet. Nobody yet. This is after three weeks, okay. People like me are just laughing at them because we knew COVID didn't spread outside. And how did we do that? Is it because we've all got PhDs in, uh, you know, the study of viruses? No, it's simply because we could read the English language. I read in the New York Times, early July, the New York Times, that left-wing cooker magazine, right-wing cooker magazine, not, uh, it came out and it said wow this is a surprise this is in early July 2020. New York Times said no one's caught COVID outside in the whole world people are catching it inside so all these instructions to go and um, you know stay at home you know not go for a walk in the park not go to the beach all the best things you could have possibly done of course in uh, July 21 Channel Nine News, six o'clock. Channel Nine News. They had this report. They said, "Oh, this is interesting." New South Wales Health today confirmed no one's caught COVID in an outdoors environment, and they got a bit of that. that uh, got got a bit of interest on Twitter. Then the next day, same Channel Nine News. They came out and they said, "Gee, well, this is this data holds for the whole of Australia. No one's catching COVID outside." Okay, even though they they, they force us to go and live inside. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> you know they uh, they uh, you know, there's they got everything wrong they didn't get anything right about covid you know now i I truly believe that the whole thing i don't believe it was pre-organized okay now a lot of people on my twitter feed say you know it was a pandemic now i don't think that's the case i don't entirely rule it out but i'd give it a 10 percent chance i suppose uh that's because it's too difficult to organize something this big okay it's too difficult it's got to have come from an environment where it was gonna you know all the ingredients for the bushfire were there now, I think what it was is this was three years into the presidency of Donald Trump. The left had just gone bananas about Trump. They had lost their mind about Trump. OK, every three days, there's a new mega scandal, even though I thought Trump was a very good president. And uh, so they they lost their mind. They tried to impeach him over nothing, over Joe Biden being exposed as a crook in Ukraine and his son. And then, they uh, you know, they, it was early February. First week of February 2020, uh, the impeachment fails. Always going to do. They're all brokenhearted. They're desperate to remove Trump. They're in the middle of the Democratic primary. And, you know, they've got Bernie the communist. They've got, uh, you know, Mitt. uh, They've got Pocahontas. And they've got Joe Biden, you know, geriatric Joe. And so they're in this panic. And the betting markets at this point are saying Trump was clearly the odds-on favourite to get re-elected. Uh, And then what happens? A bad flu pops along. okay. And then they just thought, and at first, Trump was calling it the China virus. So the Democrats at first, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, were saying, oh, yeah, Trump's being a racist, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But then they quickly worked out, they thought, look, there's political gold here. If we can make the virus 20 times bigger than it really is, that's all correct, you create the hysteria about it. And it threw Trump off balance and the whole world went crazy. Like we've never seen, you know, at least since World War II, the whole world went completely bonkers, driven by the people that hated Trump. Just an amazing coincidence that the more you hated Trump, the more you cheered on COVID hysteria. And, you know, Trump wasn't immune to the hysteria. And so, you know, he sort of, you know, I think, you know, it was very hard for anybody to resist it. And, uh, you know, a few wise people did um and so you know then then of course what that delivered was the hysteria in the end delivered the big knockout blow which was the mail out ballots okay so as you know tim 70 percent of americans or 30 percent of american voters don't vote in an election you know that's an optional vote they don't want to vote good on them uh but you know then they everybody gets posted a ballot paper and i believe uh dinesh d'Souza's account 2000 mules i think
1: it's very accurate I think that there was a no, massive also have to be careful about, talking about uh, the okay. 2020 election result on YouTube as well. Okay. Thanks
0: for putting it. did cross my mind. I might be so. thank you. Okay. Well, let's move on. I don't want to get your show in any trouble too.
1: I certainly think that they, they used the the emergence of the the virus There was, well, the, the, the whole response was political. It, but if you're going to plan the release of a virus, at least pick one that's much more super deadly than than COVID is. It was just basically a novel flu, and obviously uh, we you alluded to the the, the jabs. Uh, this it was a it was mentioned I think mainly by Ben Fordham on Two GB before the election that the New South Wales government still had vaccine mandates and Don perate he constantly just said like oh I want to get rid of them all but there's nothing really I can do to direct these these bureaucrats I mean he he was the premier
0: oh well that was an appalling admission it was a frightening admission uh I mean you would have thought that the elected premier of the executive government uh would be have have the power to End the COVID vaccine mandates, uh, but now my understanding is that they're still in place for for, for for several industries. And at this point, Tim, it's only about one thing, and that's malice, malice towards the people who were, had the courage to take a stand against the irrationality. Uh, it's clearly not uh, you know concerned about anybody's health. It's about revenge and malice, and it's uh, it's absolutely appalling.
1: Uh, now your path to to being the the lead uh, Liberal Democrats. Candidate uh, for the, the New South Wales election, you were there the lead Senate candidate at the the past uh, federal election. In fact, you were going to be the candidate for Warringah, but uh, they liked you so much they promoted you to uh, the 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 lead Senate Senate candidate. Uh, so you were endorsed at uh, at the the beginning of of 2023 as the the lead Liberal Democrat Senate. Uh, Upper House candidate for uh, for New South Wales, uh, but uh, then there was uh, then there was the state executive decided that for some reason you weren't libertarian enough, and then there was a th- then there was a membership rise up at a special general meeting, and you were you were reendorsed a second time.
0: Yes, well, Tim, I'm always impressed with your knowledge, but you did make an error there they didn't disendorse me because I was too libertarian uh they disendorsed me because they wanted to run a vague campaign so what happened was we had the Senate election in May 2020 2022 and not I mean the, the biggest news out of that federal election was that Labor had won obviously second biggest story was the success of the Teals which just campaigned on vague centrism dressing up their left-wing agenda but that's you know and it was impressive what they did you know took six six seats out of the heart of the liberal party's heartlands you know so politically you know impressive now then only a couple of months after that we had a democratic vote of the membership to decide who would be the our upper house candidate for this recent state election the party always knew we were in with a reasonably good shot so whoever our candidate was uh had a you know 50 50 chance of winning that's That was sort of the consensus view. And we had that view because David Lionhelm four years ago came very, very close to winning. Uh, Okay, so so that's why we thought, yeah, okay. And we thought that the parties probably got a little bit more public awareness after the Senate campaign. So we thought we were in with a good shot. Okay, so then, so we had the campaign in September last year. Now, early September. Now, I was actually hoping to get our party's founder, Dr. John Humphreys to be our candidate. Or Ross Cameron. I was hoping that he might be our candidate, but when we couldn't persuade them to run, I said to myself, "Look, I will run if I can sort of campaign on a bold libertarian agenda." So I stood before the members and I said, "Look, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not. This is not something that I'm lusting for. Uh, I'm happy to to be the candidate, but I really want to want you to know that I want to run, run on a a more purist libertarian vision." And the party membership said, you know, by about almost 70% said, yes, well, we want you to be our candidate on that agenda. Now, then we had the, uh, there's a seven-member state executive. uh, And now the problem with libertarians and state executives or party executives is that it's against the libertarian instinct to want to be on an executive. Okay, so unfortunately, we have a lack of people who want to be on it. We had this seven members on the executive, of which now I, I believe they had, you know, good intentions. They believed that they were doing the right thing by the party, but they we we, we were at loggerheads almost immediately because they thought, no no no, John, we need to be we need to co- copy the success of the Teals. We need to talk about vague terms. They wanted us to campaign on things like uh, prosperity community you know and fairness they wanted them to be our three slogans and i thought well look, this is the exact opposite i said the teals are campaigning for to win 51 percent of the lower house seat we're hoping to get you know three or four percent uh and to to reach the three or four percent we need a purist message so the campaign was really um at an impasse uh that went on for several months and on boxing day the state executive made a a a a poor mistake a a, a bad strategic mistake in disendorsing me um, uh, on a four to three vote and they only put my disendorsement on the agenda on Boxing Day one minute before the meeting began so I think they had thought well we'll disendorse him and since it's the you know you know how quiet Christmas is between Christmas and New Year Australia is very you know basically shut down they thought you know we'll we'll, we'll get away with it well while the libertarians can be criticised for being unwilling to be on a state executive. When there is a tyrannical uh, tyranny that needs to be overthrown, uh, they did rise up, you know, really quickly. And I thought it would take them about a week to. We needed twenty five percent of the New South Wales membership to sign a petition to call a special general meeting to replace the state executive or to have a fresh election for the state executive. So we. Um, <clears throat> We got that twenty five percent in twenty four hours, which was just fabulous. And then we had to but then within the party rules said that we had to wait twenty eight days until we could have the special general meeting. So we then had the special general meeting on the twenty eighth of January, and then you know the party membership on that occasion completely threw out all the members of the previous previous executive except for uh, well, all those who had, had opposed me. One of them got re-elected, and we got a we got a supportive executive elected and. Um, David Lionhelm uh decided to uh, nominate for the position, and the party membership on 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 this on that occasion endorsed me by seventy seven percent so so that was a that was a good result, but you know we had wasted months. we only we then only had seven weeks to campaign. The party was exhausted after what we call the Civil war, and even our supporters were saying, you know, they didn't really want to volunteer or donate money because they just thought, look, just after this debacle, we can't win. So we had a uh, very small, uh, you know, time frame and very few resources, uh, but we had some very smart people around us and we made a couple of good strategic decisions and, you know, we, we ended up getting, you know, a lot more votes than we needed to
1: get elected. The, the process you just described to, to get for the, the membership to overturn, well, to elect a new executive so you could be re-endorsed re, re as the candidate, it's it sounds a much simpler process than the New South Wales pre-selection process and that state executive, which you uh, would be familiar with. Uh, you appeared in a Four Corners episode post the, the federal election which like i've read the the books post the the election nikki savas uh book and i still don't understand like any of the the new south wales liberal processes and how they are in this paralysis
0: Oh, well look it's not that complicated so i'm happy to share it with you and your viewers the new south wales liberal party has been the- factionally dominated um division of any Liberal or Labor Party in the country for about 30 years the New South Wales Labor Party used to be you know, pretty pretty bad as well but that's sort of settled down now so we had these like and when we say factional we're talking about you know uh basically you know uh Mafia like gangs okay no interest in the welfare of the country or the welfare of the party just trying to extract whatever they can out of the Liberal Party and uh, so we, so myself and others uh, you know, a good 10 years ago, 12 years ago, started a campaign to bring about democratic reform of the pre-selection process. And that was one hell of a battle that went on for about seven years. But in 2018, the party's rules were changed. The party's rules said that we will select candidates for state and federal elections via a plebiscite of the local members. Okay, and this was terrific. We thought, you know, great, you know, the the bad old days are behind us. Uh, But they snuck in a little clause when the the party, because the party membership wanted this reform in a big way. Uh, But the baddies stuck in a clause saying, oh, well, look, we're not going to, these reforms will come into power, but not until after the next state and federal elections. Well, okay, okay, okay. We've waited long enough. We can wait a little bit longer. So we had a state and federal election in 2019, the New South Wales Liberal Party did so therefore it was meant to be for the recent state and federal elections in the liberal party they were meant to be all conducted via a democratic process uh but you know Scott Morrison just couldn't help himself he wanted his mates in parliament and he insisted on captain's Cause. and that's when the that was big big news okay it was like it's not often factional stuff makes the six o'clock commercial news it did for two months now most and it was Big on the city morning herald okay it was making news all around the country you know scomo in a factional war and he went to the high court There was legal battle after legal battle now what um uh up and prior to then scomo's polling was even with albo it had been his polling had been quite high during the quote-unquote pandemic but you know four months out from the election the polling the news poll You know, Albo might have had like a 51-52 lead, but ScoMo was very competitive, being an incumbent at 49-48. But when that factional brawl exploded all over the media, even though most people didn't quite understand the details, they got the gist of it, which was ScoMo doesn't want the party members to choose the candidates because he wants to do the choosing. And they just thought, people out there in marginal seat Australia just thought, that stinks, ScoMo. And that's when it was during that period that ScoMo's polling fell off a cliff. And so, so, and that, you know, now I'm not saying ScoMo would have won had that not happened. And it could be a coincidence, but I think it did hurt him. And I think it also helped the Teals. A lot of people in Liberal seats thought, I really can't vote for ScoMo. And I think that that was a factor. Now, then you would think with the state elect, with that being an absolute disaster for the party in so many ways, we then have the state elect, or the Liberal Party, not, not not my party, the Liberal Democrats, but the Liberal Party. Then had a state election coming up. Don Perrett, who had been in the early days of the plebiscite push, a very keen supporter, and he he addressed the state council of the New South Wales Liberal Party, and he said, "We're definitely having democratic preselections in the lead up to the state election." And then you know, once again, once again, you know, they get closer and closer. They just tried to wear down the clock. You know, they, they sort of delay, delay, delay. They say, oh, look, the state election's upon us. We're just going to do some more appointments. Um, so, very, very, uh, you know, and then they lost as well. Okay. So, this is why I think, you know, that the Liberal Party is finished. Okay. Uh, they they have had, because of the lack of democratic pre selections, it's like, uh, I mean, look, it's been a very successful political party. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's one of, arguably the most successful electorally since world war ii in the western world okay now in, mo- in most countries like the us the uk the battle between the left and the right is usually 50 50 50 50 50 50 the democrats or republicans control the white house and that's 50 50 the labor party or the conservatives control number 10 Downing Street. but in australia it's about sort of like the liberal Party's run the, run the joint for about 75 percent of the time this is very impressive okay and uh but um <clears throat> I think all that success has just sort of made it, it's hollowed it out. I sort of think of the Liberal Party as this grand old mansion. Looks good on the outside, uh, but the foundations have been eaten away by termites. It just needs a little bit of a, a prod and the whole thing will just come falling down. I think that more than half of the people that vote for the Liberal Party are disappointed in the Liberal Party. Now, and they're probably sympathetic to a party like mine or the UAP or One Nation. Uh, but they think to themselves, "Ah, oh, look, I like the Liberal Democrats, but I'll I'll vote for the stupid coalition because I really don't want an a, a, a Labour government." Now, you know, unfortunately, they if they understood how preferential voting works, it wouldn't be an issue. But you can do both. You can, you know, But um, but I think that there there is just simply a lack of intellectual depth across the Liberal Party, and and there's no white knight on the horizon. There's no one. I mean, like when Malcolm Turnbull was the opposition leader, 15 years ago, people like me would have been saying, "Oh, well, you know, there's still hope for the party. Tony Abbott might become the prime minister one day." Well, that's what happened, you know. And then Tony tried to do a few good things, and they rolled in, okay? Because the poll, the polling
1: got tough. Uh, what the Liberal Party says on its website is is good, which is which is what you're referring to, uh, but. As as uh, you're describing the, the decline in uh, 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 the liberal part, liberal party is now in the uh, uh, getting in the, the low 30s, which is is unthinkable. Which is is why you've joined the Liberal Democrats. So uh, did your your long time uh, friend Ross Cameron, who's the the new New South Wales uh, state uh, president. Uh, so there's a lot who are making the switch.
0: Yes, well, look, we had a we had a celebratory party last week, and uh, you know we had about 300 people turn up, and there was you know, quite a few Liberal Party people turning up to, just to sort of check us out, get to know the Liberal Democrats. I'm very hopeful we've got eight years uh, in the uh, Upper House, the New South Wales Upper House. It's a it's a good platform to try and build a movement. Okay, now now uh, many people in the Liberal Democrats say that we should not aim for government we should aim to replicate what the Greens have done on the left, which is to become a 10% party, which will often give us balance of power. But even more important than that, the Greens have been very successful in the last 30 years in dragging the Labor Party to the left. They, know, The Labor Party knows that if it goes right, too far right, then the Greens can win lower house seats off them. Okay. and and labor doesn't like the greens but they have to work together okay now we would like to uh well many people in my party the liberal democrats think we should aim to be a 10 percent purist party criticize the coalition for when they go cowardly like they usually are at the moment and yeah you know, and and get and get a few senators in get a few members of uh, upper houses in around the place and try and become a purist party. now other people say that we should with any political party should always be aiming for government uh, the, the some people in the Liberal Democrats say about that argument, they say, look, let's say we became, we won, you know, 55% of the vote nationwide. They say, well, then all that automatically happens is spivs and opportunists get magnetised, they get drawn like a moth to the flame to that success, and the spivs and the opportunists come in who don't have policy conviction, and they'll just sort of make it another Liberal Party.
1: Now they may well be right about that. I agree that it's that it's best to be uh, a purist party if if that's the the strategy to uh, have the the influence uh, to to replicate the the influence that the Greens have had on on Labor governments, which is why the the Freedom Manifesto, uh, which uh, you did you did campaign on is is so important. I mean, it's it, it's all there. Uh, freedom from COVID alarmism, we've already spoken about that. Recall elections, which is, would that have to be in the Australian constitution? I know it's it's a thing in the, the United States where you can recall uh, the governor or a district attorney or a police chief or everything.
0: Look, recall elections are, uh, I think they've got them in Switzerland as well. Recall elections is is just a a more advanced form of democracy. It's not complicated. It means that, you know, in the United States, uh, you typically need sort of something like, you know, 5% of an electorate to sign a petition saying that you want a new election for your member of Congress or governor or whatever it may be. Now, 5% doesn't sound like much, but the truth is it's a huge effort to get 5% of, you know, uh, you know, let's say it's a federal seat in, in 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 Australia. It's a lot of people. You'd need sort of about you know eight thousand people to sign a petition. Um, now maybe we need the threshold. We, we don't want frivolous uh, recalls, uh, but the United States doesn't really have frivolous recalls now. No. And and a recall can also backfire badly. Now in the state of California, they had a very bad governor um, twenty years ago, and he got recalled. And the people of California elected a Republican, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was, you know, pretty good, pretty good governor, you know, for California. I suppose he's got worse. <laughs> uh, but then they they had a recall last year uh, in California again against Gavin Newsom. And Gavin Newsom not only got re reelected, he got re-elected with a bigger majority, mm. and that has now made and that is so the risk with a recall is strengthening a political figure that you don't like and that's precisely what's happened with gavin newsom i think there is still a reasonable chance that joe biden is not the candidate for president in 2024 could be health concerns you know could be a whole lot of things you know hunters in trouble uh and i think if biden i know he's officially the candidate and he's you know, the betting markets say he's 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 going to be the candidate but i mean he's an old man um and so if he does fall over I think that the Democrats will then choose Gavin Newsom to be the candidate. So that recall election backfired. Now, recall elections would not be used often, and ideally they would never be used. But having them on the books acts as a way to keep politicians in check.
1: Especially if there's uh, long-term governments which are past their use-by date. I mean, the, the last four years of the last... New South Wales Labor government when it was Yema, Reese Keneally, that just seemed, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that shit show uh, seemed to go on forever until the 2011 state election when they got thrown out. Oh, well, that's a very good example, Tim. That government would have got recalled. That is what is, well, that's what
0: would have happened. And that would have been a good thing, okay? Um, and, and now we didn't do it uh, because uh, fixed terms, you know, locked in. Now, if we had a recall election, would we have got five percent of New South Wales to sign a petition saying they want a fresh election? We would have got twenty percent. Okay, would have been, and they would have lost. So that is a very good example. Now, you know, now, now there was times when um, Albanese wasn't uh, sorry, Morrison was not popular, and you know, uh, Rudd was not popular. I don't think they would have been recalled. We don't want to recall a government just because they're down in the polls. But, you know, I mean, that previous Labor government, you know, had a lot of problems with ICAC, et cetera, uh, you know, and, and, you know, they got absolutely thrown out, uh, you know, at the election. The truth is we should have had the election about three years earlier and we would have under a recall
1: um, option. We'll go through the the rest of the, the manifesto. So debt and deficit, uh, so immediate 10% gov- uh, cut in government spending, I mean, there's there's lots of fat in the government budgets, which I don't think on well, the federal budget on Tuesday will cut that uh, that much. Uh, low taxes. Uh, so this is uh, the Liberal Democrats have always supported a a flat uh, rate of uh, rate of tax and an increased uh, tax-free threshold, uh, voluntary superannuation, which is well. A lot of your super goes to to pay the salaries of all the ex-unionists who are on the board of industry super funds. Yes. And uh, cutting red tape for for small business, well, that's even more needed now after government smashed them uh, during COVID. A cheap and reliable energy uh, something we desperately need at the moment: uh, decentralized education. Now, a lot of our audience might not have heard of the the school voucher system because school schools seem to have become a well, the 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 cultural Marxists they have control of them and so they use them to to shape the children. But in a in a school, explain why a school voucher system would end the. The education culture
0: was. Well, school vouchers is a policy that I'm very excited about, and I'm hoping to, you know, um, uh, use the time in Parliament to sort of promote this agenda. Uh, now, very few people in Australia understand what a school voucher is, so I'll just—it's not complicated. It simply means at the beginning of every year, the parents of school-aged children get a voucher from the government, which will be like a certificate. And that certificate will have a face value on it of, I'm guessing, $7,000. And then the parents then can take that certificate to any school they want to to get their child educated. So there wouldn't be any national curriculum or anything. We wouldn't really need a public a, a Department of Education bureaucracy. We would basically, there'd be a little bit of bureaucracy to uh, manage the distribution of the vouchers. There wouldn't be too much more than that. Uh, now, it's based on the premise that we want to put the the spirit of private enterprise, free enterprise, into the education system. These people are going to be able to set up schools, and they're going to compete for that voucher. If they get that voucher, the school then gets seven thousand dollars, whatever it may be worth. Uh, now, there would be there would be a very large variety of schools under this structure. Some people would prefer to just go to the standard school that would not be too different to today. And that's fine if that's what the parents have chosen. Their parents would be able to use it for homeschooling. Um there would might be a religious school. There might be a, a lot of kids are interested in business when they're younger and they might be a school that's sort of gonna steer them in a business career. It might be one focused on arts, music, sports, whatever. Okay. And and there will be uh a small percentage, I'm reckon 2% of parents will want to send their kids to a school where they'll learn about, you know, James Cook is the worst person, you know, uh, before Adolf Hitler and, you know, uh, you know, let's talk about rainbow you know, dream time all day, every day and, and global warming. No problem. If the parents want to send them to that school, then that's fine. Now, we believe that 98% of parents wouldn't, but that's also fine. So we're not actually trying to dictate what the curriculum is going to be. We're going to be putting that decision in the hands of the people that care for their kids the most, which is the parents. Parents, all humans, even even people that sort of end up going to jail, all humans have this very natural, overriding love for their children. And so they're going to want to care for their children more than anything else. And now there will be wealthier people will be able to top up the voucher. They might say well i'd like to you know contribute more money to my school and that's fine too the value of the school voucher would be uh one that would give uh all kids even kids from a uh, a poor background it would give them the ability to access a decent education now this revolution is happening in the united states right now not many people in australia know about it, but adam crichton and the australian has written about it once or twice And uh, there's a fellow called Corey DeAngelis, who is worth following on Twitter. He's like the school voucher evangelist in the United States. And there are things that it is happening quickly. Uh, And the interesting thing is Milton Friedman first uh, proposed this concept in the 1950s, the great Milton Friedman, and not one state in the US adopted it. So even during the Reagan era and the Gingrich revolution and everything, no school adopted school vouchers. But they're embracing it very rapidly right now in the US. And why is that? Uh, Well, that was because a little thing called COVID came along and the parents were stuck at home and they saw what their kids had been taught. And they said, I don't like this garbage. And the school vouchers thing
1: is happening. And I want it to happen in Australia. And uh, we'll we'll uh, keep going down the list. Uh, Free speech. uh, There's... Constant legislation that is before all parliaments, uh, state and federal, restricting free speech. I know the the latest that uh, all states are passing are uh, laws against displaying certain symbols and hand gestures. But it's what should uh, I think most? The, the the most alarming example that we've we've seen in the the past week about how laws against free speech can be weaponized is what's happening to your new colleague in the Legislative Council, Mark Latham. So Alex Greenwich is wanting to report him to the police for using a carriage service to menace and harass, which is a federal offence. I and New South Wales they have a homosexual vilification law so he's going to take him to the uh, the one of your tribunals and then also sue for, for for defamation as as well like that's just a a high profile example of of all the anti-free speech laws that can be that are already in existence and then there's there's more that are always proposed uh, well, look, the important thing that needs to be said is is that, is that free
0: speech is tough, okay, because there will always be people that um, some other people want to ban them expressing their ideas. And uh, we, we really, it to, it to be a truly liberal democratic society, we simply have to robustly Uh, uh, defend people to say things that we disagree with. Uh, Now, I remember this sort of, in the 1990s, there was the Holocaust denier, uh, David Irving, who wanted to get a visa to come to Australia. And the Labor government denied him a visa. They said, no, no, his views are too repugnant. I agree his views are too repugnant. Uh, But that sort of opened the door to saying, ah oh, well look yes free speech is all good and everything and yes we've got to be you know give it a fairly wide berth but for something really extreme surely we can ban that and when you open that door it then just keeps opening and opening and opening to get to the point now where you know that we free speech genuinely seems to be under attack so i think that uh, we should um know it's 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 such an important thing it's really the when the when the u.s founding fathers uh amended their constitution the very first one the very first amendment in that bill of rights that they put up there uh was the right to free speech as an absolute and i think that it is we we are imperiling ourselves if we don't resolutely stand by that sacred principle
1: because if you start banning some speech, then it just becomes a, well, if you're going to ban this speech, then I, why not this one? Because some people find, find this offensive. It's, uh, it's either all of it is, all, all speech is permitted or only the approved government speeches, which is what you had in Soviet Russia, you still have in communist China. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right.
0: I mean, it's you know, it's I'm listening to this quite interesting podcast at the moment. There was this group in the nineteen thirties and forties in this country, who were a small little group of intellectuals, and half of them had had been communists in the nineteen twenties, but then they swung violently or radically to the hard hard right, and they ended up becoming very pro imperial Japan and pro the nazis and anti the british empire and when world war ii started it wasn't a large organization but they were well known it was called the australia first um, or something and the australia first movement and they uh, yeah they were cheering on a japanese invasion okay uh now they weren't like thugs they were sort of intellectuals but anyway uh they were pretty crazy you know this is while we're getting bombed by imperial japan and now they ended up getting arrested or about two dozen of them got arrested, um, okay, yeah, interned, okay. Now, um, after about a year of them being arrested, uh, there was this sort of uprising in public sympathy for them and nobody was agreeing with them. You know, we, we were starting to learn the true horrors of what the Imperial Japan Japanese had done And opposition leader Robert Menzies said, Look, I think we need to release these people and I think we probably need to give them some compensation because he said, Look, they were exercising their free speech. Okay. And then the Labour government agreed and they did release them and quite a few of them got compensation. And when I was listening to this podcast about these, you know, nutters, I don't think they were dangerous, um, but, uh, you know, they probably had dangerous ideas. The interesting thing is, back then, even in the middle of a war, where we've got a country genuinely invading us, um, we had our political uh, figures, leaders across the spectrum, were really so committed to this principle of free speech that they released them and gave them compensation, those yeah, you know, and an apology, a, an apology from the government. Say, so, look, you didn't actually commit any crimes. We just didn't like what you were saying, and we we now feel bad about that.
1: Uh, and I just think, you know, would well, gee,
0: we've, we've fallen a long way since then.
1: Yes, I can't imagine anything like that happening today. Now, the the final point on uh, Liberal Democrats' Freedom Manifesto is freedom from surveillance. Now, we have the federal government wanting to create the single government ID in New South Wales, the, the big uh, Bohetham. Uh, uh, I've probably mispronounced that, right, Is is Service New South Wales, which I think uh, m- 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 the rest of Australia has heard of, heard of because uh, all of the the COVID contact tracing was centralised in that app.
0: Yeah, well, this is like the yeah you know, one of the very bad uh, hangover effects of COVID is that we've just marched straight into you know these COVID apps, which didn't achieve anything, of course and all this centralized government testing, they're now merging it into, you know, oh, well, you know, let's just have the government sort of know everything about you. Uh, it's it's reminiscent of what the Chinese are they're, they're doing with the social credit system. So it's, uh, you know, and they just, you know, and the public seem to be going along with it. Now, when this, when this digital ID comes out, which it looks like it's going to, um, uh, you know, most people will at first think this is so convenient. Yes, you know they'll think, you know, well, what's the harm with this? But you know, Ayn Rand taught us, you know, the the greatest freedom is the freedom to privacy. Okay, because we're not really free unless we've got privacy. Now we do need to have a big part of our lives, which is beyond the reach of the government, and that's what these digital ID things. Which you know they will they will want to convert it into monitoring our carbon footprint. That's the ob- that's the obvious direction in which it's going, and so it has to be resisted. And so you know, at the Liberal Democrats, one hundred percent will be against all forms of digital ID, and, and also cash. Now I know that the criminal world uh, likes cash, and if we banned cash, there would be uh less crime uh that's currently transacted through cash but that is a small price to pay for citizens to still have uh you know we're better off tolerating a little bit of crime unfortunately so that people can have economic freedom and economic privacy
1: well there's another way to uh, to uh well, le- lessen organized crime than ban cash, and that's legalizing uh, some of the things that they're they're peddling, which we we sort of mentioned at the the beginning of the 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 show. Uh, but that is a, a, a one thing that's not on the, the freedom manifesto. Um, but I know it's a liberal democrat value is ending the the nanny state, and uh, we've had the the federal government this week. I announced a a huge uh, nanny state uh, policy crackdown uh, vaping, uh, which so it's only allowed to be imported if you have a doctor's prescription, if you're quitting smoking and it has to be in played packaging, they're going to regulate the nicotine and and flavours. And this seems to have come about because the the public health lobby, uh, particularly down here in Victoria, uh, Brett Sutton, and the CEO of Vic Health, Sandro uh, Di Maio, uh, this is uh, the, 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 the s- cracking down on eradicating the scourge of vaping. This is their new crusade now that COVID uh, isn't scary. And, well, this is something that's going to lead to the organised crime that you just mentioned.
0: Uh, yes, look, so I'm not a vapor, um, and I don't particularly, but most of my mates are uh and I think that it's I think it's a wonderful little industry which has sprung up now I think it's actually currently illegal but it's not being enforced um so uh what's going to happen here is I think there's about one and a half million vapors in this country and you know they're now going to try and have it centrally planned by the governments you know so you've got to go and see the doctor and there's going to be a now now um I think there's a debate about whether vaping is harmful now uh or or if it is harmful about it may be quite There's lots of propaganda that says it is yeah well that well that that, that well look i think everybody's agreed that even the anti-vaping crowd will say it's far less damaging than uh cigarettes okay now then we've got the um but look i mean i, I what would i know okay I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a humble history student so i don't know and i think vaping's still quite a new phenomenon so we don't know what the long-term effects are But even if, Tim, I knew that vaping was detrimental to people, I still would not want to ban it. Because even if you could justify the government banning this product, and if we knew for a fact that that was a net positive, well, then that's only going to justify the government going in and banning other things. They can't help themselves. We know Coca-Cola is not good for you, but we don't ban it. We know big mac is not good for you but we don't ban it now uh we need now i am absolutely in favor of the anti-vaping lobby running a public awareness campaign and saying don't vape it's bad for you i'm also in favor of the pro-vaping lobby running a campaign saying vape it's great okay and i don't think that the government should be involved in this now i think there we can have a battle of ideas and see what individual consumers want, and of course, if they if this thing goes ahead, I mean, they seem pretty fired up about it. If it goes ahead, there's going to be a a whole new criminal industry is going to be invented overnight, thanks to government
1: regulation. Well, the Australian Federal Police they 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 they'll they'll be a, a winner as well. They'll get to, to increase the <laughs> Increased budget, and they'll get to what is that? They always post on social media when they've burnt some illegal tobacco, like, Look how good we are. I mean, that's that's that, that, that's something through excessive taxes that uh, the federal government's already created.
0: Ah, yes, yes, that's right. Well, you know, one in three, uh, about a third, I heard the other day, one in third of uh, drugs that come through our airports or through our, our borders, anyway one in a third of it gets caught but two thirds doesn't get caught okay so so that's what they're going to you know with these vapes will people are either going to manufacture them in Australia or they'll get in here somehow and it's going to be the first step that people often teenagers take into the criminal world so they would be not criminals they're leading a non-criminal lifestyle the vaping law has made them take a little step into the criminal world that's not good for their mental outlook they know that they are outside the law. It might encourage them to continue to do things outside the law.
1: Uh, now, how much of this uh, freedom manifesto c- can you have an influence on as a New South Wales legislator? The the upper house is well. If you if if, if you divide the the house into a, a centre centre left block and a centre right block, it's Deadlocked at twenty one each, which is maybe why Chris Mins is is trying to shoehorn the national uh, former Nationals minister Ben Franklin to be the 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 president. But that's that, that's just political uh, shenanigans. I'm not sure what the legislative agenda Chris Mins is going to to put forth. He wasn't really elected on on March. He is a bit fiscally responsible which is i guess and its i mean it's an improvement on our guy down here labor guy down here dan andrews what uh, what are you expecting to, to to come before you in the legislative council
0: uh look all around the world right now the left is sort of at peak c- craziness okay so i'm actually quite relieved that if we if it was time for new south wales to have a labor government i'm relieved it's chris mintz Uh, He is far more Bob Carr than he is Dan Andrews. Okay, I was impressed with him during the campaign on more than one occasion when he criticised the Liberal government over its debt and over its unfunded spending. Since he's won office, I've also been impressed on two or three occasions where he's talked about cutting out government programs which are wasteful. The, The New South Wales government was previously giving out $100 vouchers to parents every year to buy sporting equipment. Well, sporting equipment's good and we want parents to spend money on sporting equipment but they can self-fund it we don't want the government coming in and doing it and then of course you've got to create a big bureaucracy and all the waste associated with you know, a government program okay so so look so far um i'm uh, you know tentatively yeah, you know, reasonably happy with them now i suspect i'm going to vote with the liberal party and the national party more than the labor party um Okay, because I mean they they're often better in opposition the Liberal Party than they are in government, uh, so they'll they'll probably stick to their principles more in opposition. I certainly hope they do. Uh, but so look, I'm hoping to you know use the use the platform to promote our agenda of a much smaller government, uh, you know, through lower taxes, cutting spending, cutting regulation, and cutting debt, and, and having a thriving private sector which will give us a more humane world.
1: Now, the uh, the Liberal Democrats uh, going forward, um, at least at the federal level, won't be able to be called the, the Liberal Democrats. The Liberal Party for a long time uh, hasn't liked that uh, the party has Liberal in its name. And so Scott Morrison's government passed legislation that uh, only, well, because they were the first registered Liberal Party only they can be the Liberal Party so the uh, Lib Dems uh, hand has been forced and so you're going to have to at least change your name federally so what the how is the party approaching it?
0: Oh there's a meeting in Melbourne on this Saturday this week our AGM it's going to be hot topic for discussion so you're right we do have to change it to the federal level it looks like there could be a few by-elections around the corner so we need to do we do need to change it at the federal level and uh you know there's uh, various names being suggested um so you know I'll, oh, I'll what, some, to... what are some that have been put forward oh well there's the libertarian party there's the liberty and democracy party there's the liberty democrats um uh so a few other combinations I think the, the the low tax party the anti-government party so um you know the um uh, I think we would prefer to try and have some similarity with the existing name. I believe we have built a little bit of equity a reasonable amount of equity in the um party's brand so we that's why you know we
1: want to want to keep something in it that sounds, sounds a little bit like the Liberal Democrats well, you could still be, well, the party's website is ldp.org. So if it could be the same acronym or if you could keep the same abbreviation, Lib Dems, like you could keep it with, say, Liberty and Democracy or Liberty Democrats. Correct. That is right. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, thank you, John, so much uh, for joining me uh, tonight. Uh, you've uh, you, you, you've got a, a busy week uh, ahead of you uh, with uh, the, the the swearing in. And is there a bit of? I don't know if the New South Wales Parliament has much pomp and and ceremony with with its with its opening. It's probably not as glamorous as the the King's coronation uh, we 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 just we just saw. Um, But looking forward to to seeing you in action on the floor and uh, in the uh, committee as well. Uh, All the best uh, with your political career. Terrific, Tim. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Take care. All right, everybody. That's the show for tonight. Now I'll be back tomorrow night with Tim's News Explosion, eight thirty p.m. Melbourne time on YouTube, D Live, and Odyssey. There's a lot to get through. News uh, south of uh, the Murray here with the shit show that is the Victorian Liberal Party, and also uh, the, uh, the the the. Proposed law, even further laws that uh, Dan Andrews has in mind uh, to use against uh, Victorians. We'll also catch up on the well latest unrest in the United States and the outcome of the UK uh, UK council elections. So I'll see you all uh, then. Uh, remember, if you uh, if you don't want to uh, send through super chats throughout the show, you can take out an unshackled membership on the unshackled slash memberships, and uh, there there is uh, there is bronze five dollars per month, a silver ten dollars per month, a gold twenty five dollars per month, and platinum fifty dollars per month. And remember, the unshackled is where you can see the unshackled productions archive and also our articles as well. Uh, There's more reports from Richard Wollstonecraft coming up as well, so stay tuned for those. Thank you everyone for your company once again. I hope you enjoyed our discussion with uh, uh john ruddock uh tonight he's certainly going to make a great contribution to the the new south wales parliament and to the people as well i'll see you all tomorrow night stay safe stay sane stay free stay happy stay healthy and uh stay warm as well good night everybody
0: thanks for tuning in to Wilmsfront. visit timwilms.com to view the archive of episodes and keep visiting theunshackled.net to view all our shows and to keep up with the latest real news and analysis.